Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 13, we're going to uh, go to the end of the chapter, Lord willing. How many of you were here last week? Okay. If you were, you remember we began talking in this chapter about how to learn to live within the blended family of God. Right? If you're here and you know Jesus, then it's because you know that He came to rescue you, to pay for your sin, right? Uh, So that you could be fit for heaven. If you do not yet know Jesus, I need to tell you in love that you are not fit for heaven. Jesus says, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And the reason he says that is because none of us can, is good enough to get into heaven because it's perfect there. And if God lets you into his perfect heaven the way you are, then you'll ruin it for the rest of us. Right? So, if if you're here and you have this relationship with Jesus, then he has paid for your sin... He's swapped out his perfect righteousness for your filthy rags, and you are fit for heaven. Now, that creates a whole different situation. Now we have in this room a whole bunch of folks from all different backgrounds, right? There are literally folks in our church who have come from uh, being in a cult. There are folks in our church that came from very religious, strict backgrounds. There's folks who came from very immoral uh party animal kind of uh, backgrounds. There's folks from broken homes. There's folks from model homes. We all bring our own baggage, but yet we're all headed to the same place. Welcome to the family of God, right? Possibly the world's largest dysfunctional family. And it, it has to do with, as we're looking here at Romans chapter 14, look, there's some things that are very clear in the Bible. It's really easy Uh Nobody, I don't think, with any sense, argues that adultery is wrong, that lying is wrong, stealing is wrong. There's things that are laid out very clearly, but there are other things that are a little more gray areas where we can truthfully, as children of God, have different convictions. Something could be very, very uh, important in your life and and for you to do this or not to do this is very important. But for for the next person, maybe not so because the Bible isn't as clear on that particular thing. So we have this odd group of people that are thrown together. You could call us the the blended family of God. We're going to either be the Brady Bunch or the Bratty Bunch depending on how we interact with each other concerning our separate convictions. Okay? Last week, again, we talked about, I said, hey, imagine, um, and, and it's actually probably not very hard for us to do so. Imagine you had two people, um, one who's much more strict than you are in their personal convictions about gray areas. And then imagine another person who, uh, depending on the area, is much more loose than you are. You're like, wow, I can't believe that you really think that's okay. So we have the legal eagles and the sloppy agapes. Okay? We talked about those last week, and I said, look, imagine these, these uh, two kind of folks, and I want you to think about them as we go through the message. So there's the legal eagles, right? They've got strong convictions, strict convictions about 
Myriads of things, uh, smoking, uh, the occasional drink. To be drunk with wine is a sin, but the occasional drink, uh, depending on what your conviction is. Movies, cards, dancing, those kind of things, these are the legal eagles. But then there's the other folks, the sloppy agape. You ever had one of those where you have a conversation with someone and you're like, oh man, I wish I had said that. Yeah? No, it's just me? All right. <laughs> Fine. I'll pray for you liars. Um, well, I had one of those this last week. You know, I'm, I'm not, not dissatisfied with legal eagles and sloppy agape, but I was, you know what? You know what would have been better? Legal eagles and loosey gooseys. So, yeah, see? Yeah, Carol thinks so too. All right. So, pretend I said that last week, okay? We got the legal eagles. Loosey gooseys. Listen, in Rome, chapter 14, the exact same thing is happening, but it's the carnivores versus the vegetarians. Believe it or not. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And that's what he's talking about. Things about convictions. Not clear-cut sin things, but things that, hey, that might be right for you, but not so much for me. Verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Okay? We talked about it. Imagine you go into the Roman market and you are stunned because you see this great deal on prime rib. It's awesome. Like, I can't believe it's that cheap. Problem is, with this meat, is that it was sacrificed to idols. Now, suddenly you have two groups that are now fighting about whether it's right to eat that meat. There's the carnivores, of which I am one that's proud. Okay? <laughs> And, and they would say, look, the, the gods that were sacrificed to aren't even real. These aren't real gods. So, look, if some fool wants to sacrifice their, their meat to this god and it makes my meat half price, I'm all good with that. But then, right, but then there's the vegetarians, the, the herbivores, who they've been taught for years and years that, look... Maybe they, were, they, they actually worshipped this pagan god. Look, if you eat that meat, that, that uh, pagan god comes to live inside of you. You're fellowshipping with that god. Or this could have been another thing. Remember, there are Jews here, strict kosher Jews, who have now had their world rocked, turned inside out. Is it okay to eat uh, non-kosher things or not? Okay, so there's these, these issues. Um, the legal eagles versus the loosey gooseys. The legal legals have these strict convictions. And Paul says, actually, if you notice there in verse 2, he says they're, they're the ones that are weak in the faith. Okay? He says, but there's these loosey-gooseys, if you will. They're actually stronger, meaning they don't have that hang-up about this because it's factually, look, those aren't gods. He says, but their problem is that they're looking at the, the legal eagles and saying, dude, it's just meat. These gods aren't even real. Grow up. Look at verse 3. He talked to them both last week. He said, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Paul says to the carnivores, don't you dare look down your nose at these folks. They're, they're growing up in the Lord just like you are. Okay, they're not at the same spot you are. But if, then he says to the herbivores, look, don't you dare judge the loosey-gooseys because God is their God. Matter of fact, this is the summary of what we talked about last week. You can get the CD as well, or I can save you some time right here. Here it is. 
Paul says in, in regards to each other, okay, those folks that are stricter than you and those folks who you're like, really? You, you don't think that that's wrong? He says, don't forget that God has accepted them. God allowed them into his family. So is it right for you to have a stricter application process than God? Number two, God is able to make them stand. That is, don't forget these folks. They, they are a work in progress just like you. And God has committed to work his work in them till the very end. Number three, don't forget that he is their audience of one. As you go through those verses, uh, I think it's six, seven, eight, something like that, you'll see to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. He is their audience of one, not you. Number four, you can rest assured that that uh, legal eagle or that uh, loosey goosey will answer to God. So guess what? Your job of judging is done here, right? And then number five, don't forget though, you also will give an account to God. That's where we left off. Verse 13. Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Um, the word judge and resolve there, interesting, both the same word. It's like Paul says, look, if you really want to get up on the judge seat there, why don't you do this? Make a decree, a royal judge kind of decree that you will not Stumble your brother. So it's kind of like Paul says to the carnivore. Okay, Remember the, the stronger brother in the, this uh, argument. Kind of like he takes him aside and says, Okay, I get it. Yeah, you're right. That, that food was not... Uh, it, it, even though it was sacrificed to a pretend idol, it's, it's totally fine. I get that. He says, But let me give you some counsel on how to live with the legal eagle. You guys want counsel on how to live with a legal eagle? Okay, good. One of you. The rest of you are dismissed. No, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> here's the thing. How do you live? I want you to think of that person again. That person that you're like, man, you are uptight. I can't believe that you think that's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Think about that person. And Paul gives us some really good counsel here on how to behave uh, in accordance with that person. Okay? Before we go any further, though, let me make sure that you understand. I'm using the word legal eagle because it's, you know, I was going to say it's funny, but you don't think it's funny. Um, it's easy to remember, okay? What I'm not talking about is the self-righteous Pharisee, okay? I am not saying uh, that Paul is saying you need to uh, change all of your behavior for the person who, they're not stumbled, they're not truly uh, hurt by this, but they just want you to conform to their way of thinking, okay? But what we are going to see, we're talking about a person who truly has their own convictions about uh, this or that, okay? All right. Paul says, things to ask yourself now while living with the legal eagle. Here's your first question you want to ask yourself. Ready? Though I'm convinced, is he condemned? That was Paul's first question that he asked himself. I think it was his first rule for living with the legal eagle. Look at verse 14. He says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. He says it's, it's a matter of what's going on in the person's mind and heart. The meat itself 
is not unclean. Paul says, I'm convinced, it says, in my own conscience that eating that meat sacrificed uh, to that Roman uh, idol is fine. But notice verse 14, he, he goes further. He says, actually, more than that, I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus. Now, you may think, well, when did the Lord Jesus convince him of that? Well, don't you remember? It was the, the Lord who spoke to Peter, a kosher Jew. And in a dream, he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat that barbecue sandwich. Right? Imagine the culture shock, just to get your head wrapped around it. Imagine if you were a a very kosher Jew today, and you heard God speak to you, rise, go to Bubaloo's Bodacious Barbecue. (laughs) But just so you know, this wasn't the first time even that Jesus had said such a radical thing to kosher Jews. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus said, Look, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. That's what defiles the man. Interesting. You could actually put that, that title over this whole message. Isn't Paul saying, Look, I'm not talking about what you put in your mouth. What I'm saying is what comes out of your mouth toward your weaker brother. Now, remember, back in the day, Just to get context for Paul here. Before he was saved, he was Saul, the uber Jew. He says, I was the Pharisee among Pharisees. I was the the creme de la creme. Nobody kept the law better than me. You talk about kosher. I was uber kosher. But here he says, verse 14, look, now I'm completely convinced that it's fine for me to eat whatever I want. As long as I can give thanks for it before the Lord. So, Paul says he agrees now, you see this, right, with uh, loosey-goosey, if you will. He agrees with the the carnivore. He agrees with the person that their conscience is totally fine eating this meat. But here he says, look, though I'm convinced, here's the more important question. Is my weaker brother condemned if I eat this? Verse 14, he says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Paul says, my my weaker Jewish brother, he's been raised for 30 years, let's say, to think kosher, to think, look, you are what you eat. Just to give you an idea, remember Peter's first reaction. It's the Lord speaking to him. Rise, kill and eat. He says, no way, Lord. can't say that. No, Lord. <laughs> but he does because he's like, no, I've been trained this way. I am a kosher, good kosher Jew. So what Paul is saying here is, look, I get it. He's saying to the carnivore, I get it. You're totally right. The facts support you. But because your brother right now is at a place where they can't make that jump, they can't make that adjustment, you only have a couple choices, Paul says. Look, you can look at your kosher, weaker brother with bacon hanging out of your mouth and say, dude, it's just me. What's your problem? Grow up. Or you can walk in love. Verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved, that means to affect with sadness, to cause grief, to throw into sorrow. Again, this does not mean if your brother is offended, if he's like, well, I say it's this way and No, if your brother is truly hurt, he's damaged by this because he's struggling with this. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. 
So imagine Paul says, look, you you sit down uh, with your brother, your weaker brother. Let's say that he's come out of idolatry. Let's say he loves the taste of meat, but he can't eat it because the minute he does, it takes him right back to his B.C. days before Christ. It takes him right back to that. All of that bondage, all of that stuff. What are you going to do? Are you going to look at the waiter and go, I'll take your biggest filet mignon you got? Nice. Classy. Paul says, look, uh, if you already paid for it, get it to go. (laughs) Don't eat it in front of him. Let me ask you. And again, what we're talking about is a whole host of uh, debatable issues. Let me ask you, uh, stronger brother who has more liberty, would you blow cigarette smoke in the face of someone who is trying to quit? Would you drink? In front of a recovering alcoholic. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food. He says there's a bigger issue here. You're no longer walking in love. So he says. Do not destroy with your food. And you could easily put in the word freedom. Do not destroy with your freedom. The one for whom Christ died. Boy he lowers the boom there. Pretty powerful point in just those last few words. You hear what he's saying? So, uh, Christ laid down his life for that weaker brother. Don't you think you can lay down that sandwich? Now stop for a second. Again, think, think of your legal eagle. Is there any liberty that you enjoy that that person can't truly in good conscience enjoy? Here's a convicting question to, to ask yourself. Have you been teasing them, goading them to grow up? Flaunting your freedom in their face? Because if you have, I'm going to ask you a more difficult question. Do you really want to train your brother or sister to ignore their conscience and go with yours? (laughs) No. We don't want to train each other to ignore or override our conscience. We end up with a seared conscience if we do that. Okay, so first question. I'm convinced. But if I do this in front of him, is he condemned? Or if I uh, encourage him to do something that I'm fine with, but he's not, that's not good. Okay, number two, second question. Is it winsome to the world who's watching? Is this debate that you're perhaps having on Facebook or whatever it might be, is it winsome to the world that is watching? Look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good, that is agathos, it's pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. So this is a really good thing. He says, again, I'm not arguing with uh, the facts here. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. That word is blasphemio. It's where we get the word blaspheme. For the kingdom of God, he says, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Long way of saying, look, keep the main thing, the main thing. Before you indulge this freedom that is perfectly is perfectly your right to do, it's fine for you to do. Ask yourself, is this winsome to the world that's watching or to my world? Ray Steadman gave a, a great example. True story. He says, there was this church that had a terrible split. You ready for what it was about? Whether they would have a Christmas tree in the sanctuary. 
There were folks that came and they put one up. Another faction took it and took it out to the street. First group took it, marched it back in. Second group started to march it back out. Guess what? They ended up in a fist fight. In Christian love, of course. He went on to say they actually ended up suing each other. Now let me ask you this. I, I honestly, and I want to commend you because I feel like right now, and I feel like you know the, the text is for us hopefully preventative. I really think we're we're doing a decent job. I'm sure we can be doing better. But how how much press do you think that a church like ours, where we where we try to submit and and love one another and and uh, look out for each other, how much press do you think a church like this would get? Not much. How much church do you think a church <laughs> press that would get that? did this, where there was a fight over a Christmas tree. That's going to be all over the news. People will be reading the paper and they will say, oh, I get it. This is what Christianity is all about. Fighting over stupid stuff. In Rome, if they were to open the paper, they would say, oh, I see. Christianity is about food and drink. It's about whether you eat or you don't eat. That's what, I mean, that's what they're fighting about. Paul says, no, verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but what righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul is again speaking to the person who has complete freedom to eat and to drink what he wants, but he says, is that what the kingdom of God is all about to you? Your right to eat and drink. Does it come down to you're going to fight for your right to party? Or is it, verse 16, about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There are people who go to our church here that have very different convictions about debatable things. Again, I commend you if we want to continue to live successfully as the Brady Bunch, as the blended family of God. Y'all, we have to always keep the main things the main things. Here he speaks of some of them, righteousness. We've touched on it. What does he mean? The righteousness of God. We've learned in the book of Romans. The righteousness of God is, is not some, uh, some condition that you can achieve on your own. There's no way you can do it. The righteousness of God is a commodity that you must receive. Jesus gives it to you, a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But if you're willing, if you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, will you save me? Will you give me your righteousness? He gives it. Y'all, whether or not you uh, eat meat or don't eat meat or have a drink or don't have a drink, I have that in common with you. It's much more important. The righteousness of God that we both share because Jesus gave it to us. Number two, we have peace with God. The world out there doesn't know what that means. They need the peace of God. And if they look at us, we're, we're the place that's supposed to be the laboratory of God. They look at us and instead we're fighting. Well, I guess I won't be going there to find the peace of God. And then he says, joy in the Holy Spirit. Most of you know this. Joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness depends upon happenings. But joy, you can have even when your son has autism, when you haven't, doesn't seem like you have two nickels to rub together. 
That is joy. You can only get that from having knowing that God is going to work it all out in the end. Okay? These are the things that we should be uh, focusing on, keeping the main thing the main thing. So, second, Paul, Paul's second question is, look, is it winsome to the world that's watching? I'll tell you what is winsome, is when you are willing to yield your right for your weaker brother. Verse 18, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. He says, he who serves, it means, uh, it's actually doulos, it's slave. He who's willing to be a slave for Christ in these things. What, what are these things? Food and drink? Nope. It does not say he who serves Christ in abstaining or partaking of a ham sandwich is acceptable to God. No, these things, you need to back up a verse. He who serves Christ in these things, the righteousness of God, peace with your brother, a joyful heart. If you're willing to pursue these things and keep them the main thing, that is what is acceptable to God. And it says, by the way, approved by men, winsome. Here's the the new Doug version of verse 18. Ready? When you serve Christ by yielding for your brother's sake, that is well-pleasing to God and winsome to men. Okay, so first question, look, I'm convinced I can do this It's totally fine, but my brother, is he condemned? Second question, is this winsome to the world or do I need to shut my mouth and not enter into this debate over debatable things? Number three, am I pursuing peace or am I pursuing my own pleasure? Am I pursuing peace? Am I building up my brother? Verse 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up another. You guys have heard me say this. Um, I don't know why it captures my attention every time, so just got to deal with it. Maybe you, you haven't caught it yet. Here we go. Pursue. See that word? It's dioko. It means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing to run after. And you find this whenever we talk about peace in the New Testament. It's this. Paul says right here, peace, chase after it, get after it. First Peter 3.11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and what? Pursue it. Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Psalm 34.14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and what? Pursue it over and over again. We see that peace, especially in a blended family like this, it doesn't just show up on your doorstep. When we come from so many backgrounds, I think we want peace to be like a pixie that knocks on your door. Says, okay, now you will sacrifice all your own comfort and you will bless other folks and everything will just be awesome. We want to think that we will, now that we're Christians, we'll suddenly be at peace that have, with people that have very different convictions than we are. There's this magic pixie dust. Paul says, no. If you want peace, you've got to get after it. You have to run it down. Application. Are you pursuing peace? Are you expecting instead the peace pixie to come and bless your relationships? You want to get after it. Again, today, maybe, if, if 
someone is coming to your mind that you're not at peace with and you're not even pursuing peace. I strongly encourage you. You need to get right with that person. You need to do, do what you can as, as much as according to you. We learned that a couple chapters back. Do you need to apologize to them? Do you need to uh, forgive them? All I can say is get after it. Get after it. Verse 19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up one another. Again, the context he's saying is the, the ham sandwich, the thing that you say, hey, it's, this is my right. But is that pursuing peace with that person? Are you desiring to build them up? Are you, Paul would ask, a stumbling stone for that person or a stepping stone? If you eat that ham sandwich, is that weaker brother going to be built up or is he going to uh, be harmed? Because look at verse 20. It says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The work of God. Poema. Let's, let's look at that word actually and think of it individually. Because we've talked about this and it's been a recurring theme in the book of Romans, right? I, I look out and I see many examples that I know for a fact you are the work of God. You are a piece of work. Okay? He has chosen you. He's chosen you. And he said, okay, I'm going to take you in. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to do some things that you, you might not like, but my, what, I'm will, what I'm going to do, if you're willing, I'm going to knock off this and that and that until you look just like my son. And I'm committed to do that project. Okay? We are the workmanship of God, created for good works in Christ Jesus. And he will not uh, quit that work until he's finished it. Okay? Think about that. All of the individual works of God, right in this room. He says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The, The word destroy means to dissolve or to undo. Paul is saying to me and to you, look, God is in the midst of transforming people. He has projects all throughout this room. Please don't undo any of his work so that you can have a ham sandwich or drink a beer or smoke a cigar. Don't insist on your rights when you know that there's a weaker brother right there. So we see it individually, but we can also see it collectively. I hope you agree with me. I'm excited about where we are uh, with the Lord. I feel like He is doing a work here at Calvary Chapel. He's doing a collective work, not just individually, a collective work. Can I tell you this? I think Satan would like nothing better than for you, some of us, to undo the work that he's doing here for the sake of something as trivial as food or uh, an opinion on this versus this. If he can get us to major on the minors and to divide over them, he can destroy the work of God that he's doing here. And if he can do it for something as small as this, man, he will be rejoicing. That's why it's so important, I think, that you have to pursue peace. You have to get after it. You have to be committed to building up your brother, even if it means you have to curb your own rights a little bit. Okay? Look at the middle of verse 20. He apparently has touched on something that's important because he's repeating himself here. Uh, Verse 14, he says the same thing. Look what he says here in verse 20. Look, all things indeed are pure, kosher. It's okay to eat any of these things, but it is evil. It means injurious, damaging for the man who eats with events. 
It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 8. You'll see a very parallel argument. Uh, as is true today, so many churches divide over petty things. And apparently it was not only in Rome that this was happening, but in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 4. Paul says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, that there is no other God but one. For even if there, there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So Paul states the same thing he says in, in our text. Look, we know that those other gods are not gods at all. They're made of stone, wood. Any god that you can carry around in your pocket is not going to be much help to you. Okay? He says, we know that. We get that. Verse 7. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Not everybody understands that. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now they eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, look, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. It's much more than just uh, food, right? Verse 9, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge, uh, excuse me, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Let me ask you. Actually, don't raise your hand because I'm not sure if I want to know. But I think for some of you, wouldn't you be like freaked out if you saw me walk into a bar and order a beer? I'm like, open my Bible here. Let all things have breath. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Wouldn't that freak you out? It would me. <laughs> I honestly, conscious wise, I, I've never liked the taste. That, like it's, it's a non-issue for me. It's not something I'm, I'm even tempted. But if I was and, and I was there and you walked by and let's say worse, you're a recovering alcoholic. And you say, hey, well, my pastor does it. Good for me. <laughs> Suddenly you're thrust back into that same weakness. He says here, verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says it really comes down to this. Look, though I, I have the perfect right to do it, I am willing to curb my rights so that I might not make a brother stumble. Interesting, you can go back to Romans chapter 14. Uh, remember the verse that we just covered? The kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's interesting, the Greek is uh, food, for food is brosis, and for drink is posis. Paul is saying here, look, if I have to choose between my bro and my brosis, I'm going to choose my bro. I'm, I'm going to curb my rights if I need to, so that I would not make him stumble. Okay? 
So questions to ask yourself regarding your legal eagle. Sure, I'm convinced, but is he condemned? And again, this is not, I honestly don't think that he's writing this saying, look, we should kowtow to every uh, Pharisee legalist who wants to control us. No, he's saying, he's talking about the weaker brother here. Sure, I'm convinced, but is he condemned? Would my choice before my brother prove winsome to the world that's watching? Number three, am I pursuing peace uh, by my decisions here? Am I building up my brother? And lastly, number four, do I have a clear conscience? Because that's what it comes down to. Verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Saying, look, if you can eat that meat, that's awesome. Okay? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in that which he approves. You can eat, eat that or drink that or smoke that or watch that. Before God, notice it says, with God as your audience. Right? If you can truly have a clear conscience, then good for you. But please, don't make that choice in front of that brother. Right? But again, he says, make sure that though that you have a clear conscience. Anything, is, it's really a great rule of thumb. If you're, if you're wondering, hey, is this right or wrong for me to do? Can you give thanks for it? I, again, my personal conviction, I, I couldn't pick up a beer and say, thank you, Lord. Right? Not for me. Can you give thanks with a clear conscience? Okay? If you can thank Him for it, that's great. But please don't stumble your brother. Because, verse 23, He who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he, who does, not, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. What he's saying is, the word doubts is uh, diacrino. To be at variance with oneself. And that is to have second thoughts. To, to be kind of double-minded about it. To not be fully convinced. That's why Paul has now said all, all morning this morning, over and over again, to the libertarian Christian. Again, the guy who rightly understands, look, when it comes to disputable matters, you have freedom. But what he's saying here is don't force someone who's not fully convinced that is a legal eagle to live by your convictions. They're your convictions. Okay? Chances are, if you just relax and let them grow, those freedoms will grow too. But the worst thing that you can do is force your loosey-goosey convictions on a legal eagle. Again, Ray Stedman gives a, a great example. You know, like you see in movies, um, maybe some of you have actually been on them. The, the rickety bridges, they're very, very, uh, like they're rope bridges, right? Very small, skinny, uh, going across a chasm. Maybe uh, you're, you're very comfortable. You, you know, have been around it all your life and you can scamper across the thing. You turn to your weaker brother and go, it was easy. And you know, factually, that it will hold that person up. You say to them, come on, come on, don't be a wuss. Come on, grow up. Or, or let, me, let me ask you a different question. You have a little one who's learning to walk. Do you say to the little one, come on, learn to walk, grow up. <laughs> or, or you have a, a little one that's scared of the dark because there's a, a monster in the closet. Now you have the facts. You know that there's no monster in the closet. But do you say, come over here, turn out the lights. <laughs> no. You're walking in love, right? 
You're letting them grow at their pace. Okay? Let's just close with Romans 15, verse 1. Uh, 1, 2, and 3. It's kind of a summary. We, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification or building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Nice nice summary there, Paul. It's, it's really good. It's kind of saying, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't demand his rights? That he was willing to curtail his rights? To, to pay for your weakness. That he didn't live to please himself, but to please the Father. He is so strong. He bears so long with my weakness. And he, he is in the process of building me up. Isn't it the very least I can do to also turn to you and bear patiently with your weakness?